when our prayers and God's power collides, the unthinkable happens. When we attach ourselves to God's power, when heaven meets earth, things happen in our lives that we weren't prepared for. And maybe even we prayed about for a long time. Yet when we connect those two together, something supernatural takes place. And for most of our lives and for large periods of our times, we can go without plugging the two in, operating as if this power doesn't exist. Yet when we take those two things and bring them together, the living God and human beings, and you attach them through the connecting cord of prayer, there's this cataclysmic collision that can take place. And today we're going to walk through, and over the next four weeks, we're going to show you through Scripture what happens when people connect themselves, Christ followers connect themselves through living God through prayer. Prayer is the catalyst, literally, that moves the engine. Just recently I heard that we need to make prayer the engine instead of the caboose in our lives. It needs to come first in our lives, not something that we attach later. But it drives our lives, it drives who we are, and it helps us connect to the living God. When men and women connect themselves to God, great things happen. Our risky steps as a result of that builds God's reputation. And the only way we can build up God's reputation is if we're in communion with him so that we can live our lives out on this hemisphere connected to him. Every so often there's a story that surfaces through the pages of Christianity regarding prayer, how God came through and how God is able to respond to our prayers. Long before you and I were born, in the century before Jesus, there was a man by the name of Honi. Literally, his name was H-O-N-I. And he has walked through the pages of Christianity. You can hardly pick up a book or study on prayer without hearing about this man who was known for his bold, audacious prayers. And because of these prayers, God moved in an unthinkable way. And so when God's power in our lives collide, the unthinkable occurs. And there was a man who, some would say, he, was, he acted presumptuously upon God. He asked God for too much. Yet I would say just the opposite. Many of us are afraid to ask God, and he's saying, come on, ask me, I'm here. And so for the next four weeks, I'm going to challenge us to think differently about prayer, to live regularly with prayer, and in our prayers, to pray specifically in our prayers. I think overall Christians pray too vaguely. I think when we pray to God, we use terms like, God, if you'll show up. God, can we experience you? Those things, yes, we want. But how do we ever know specifically what he's answered if we haven't asked him in a specific way? And I think by doing so, sometimes we rob God of his glory because we don't recognize that God came through and we just continue to move on and he's moved and yet we haven't given him recognition for what he's done. It was the first century B.C., And a devastating drought threatened to destroy a generation, the generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off, and nearly four centuries before, miracles were such a distant memory that they lived like a false memory. And God was nowhere to be heard. It was called the silent years. But there was one man, the story tells, an eccentric sage who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray anyway, even though people were saying, We're praying, but it doesn't seem like God is answering. This guy dared to pray anyway. His name was Honey. And even if people could no longer hear God, he believed that God could still hear them. When rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought. 
during a drought, it's the only thought. And Honey was their only hope. Famous for his ability to pray for rain, it was on this day, the day that Honey would earn his moniker. With a six-foot staff in his hand, Honey began to turn like a math compass in a circular movement. Even methodical in nature, 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He took this staff and he moved in the sand and he made a circle in the sand with his staff, literally 360 degrees. He's called Honey, the circle maker. After what seemed like hours, but had only been seconds, the story goes, Honey stood inside the circle he just drew with his staff. Then he dropped to his knees and he raised his hands to heaven. With the authority of the prophet Elijah, who called down fire from heaven, Honey called down rain. Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. The word sent a shudder down the spine of all who were within earshot that day. It wasn't just the volume of his voice. It was the authority of his tone. Not a hint of doubt. This prayer didn't originate in his vocal cords. Like water from an artesian well, the words flowed from the depth of his soul. His prayer was resolute yet humble, confident yet meek, expectant yet unassuming. Then it happened, the story tells us. As this prayer ascended to heaven, raindrops descended to earth. An audible gas swept across the thousands of congregants who had encircled Honey. Every head turned heavenward as the first raindrops parachuted from the sky. But Honey's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop. But Honey wasn't satisfied. With every sprinkle, still kneeling within the circle, Honey lifted his voice over the sounds of celebration and raindrops. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. The sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that eyewitnesses from this historical account said no raindrop was smaller than an egg in size. It rained so heavenly and so steadily that the people fled to the temple mound to get to higher ground, to escape the flash floods. Yet Honey stayed and prayed in the midst of the water in the circle. Once more, he refined his bold request. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of thy favor, blessing, and graciousness. Then, like a well-proportioned sun shower on a hot and humid August afternoon, it began to rain calmly, peacefully. Each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And they didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit with faith. It would be forever remembered that, uh, on that day. The day thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. The day puddle jumping became an act of praise. The city and the day the legend of the circle maker was born. It had been difficult to believe the day before. The day after the day, it was impossible not to believe. Honey was celebrated like a hometown hero by people whose lives he saved. But some within the Sanhedrin called the circle maker into question. A faction believed that drawing a circle and demanding rain dishonored God. Maybe it was those same members of the Sanhedrin 
who would criticize Jesus for healing a man's withered arm on a Sabbath a generation later. They threatened Honey with excommunication. But because the miracle could not be repudiated, Honey was ultimately honored for his act of prayerful bravado. That prayer saved a generation. That was deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol. And the legend of Honi, the circle maker, stands forever as a testament to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history. The power of a single prayer. The earth has circled the sun almost 2,000 times since the day Honey drew his circle in the sand. But God is still looking for circle makers. I wonder who the next circle maker will be in this group. I wonder if we, with that kind of faith, stood before our God and claimed and drew a circle around a family, drew a circle around a dream, drew a circle around a child, drew a circle around a community, drew a circle around the world, drew a circle around a workplace, drew a circle around that thing that we have been waiting and waiting for, remaining resolute that our God can do it and we will not leave until he comes through. Our Bible is littered with these kind of bold, audacious responses from men and women of God. Our Bible is loaded with men and women of God who commune with God and he did some supernatural things through them. We will also see where they believe by faith that God could do it. Let me show you such a person today. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6. Turn to Genesis chapter 6. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 5 through 9. If you're using the YouVersion app on your phone or on your iPad, Know that you won't find the NIV 84 anymore. So if you get a dialogue box and says network closed, just punch NIV. The NI 84 is no longer existing on it electronically. So let's read this together. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Stand with me and we'll read it together. Genesis 6, verses 5 through 9. Ready, read. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I'm grieved that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time as he walked with God. In verse 10, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let me have a seat. We will see through Noah's life that faith is a byproduct of prayer. And bold prayers are a byproduct of bold faith. You can't have bold faith and you can't have bold prayers unless you connect yourself by faith to God and you have personally identified and witnessed where he has come through in the past. So these faith deposits along the way, connecting heaven and earth together, build our audacity and towards God in prayer. 
Listen to how it's written regarding Noah in the New Testament. Don't turn there, but this is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Hebrews 11.7. In regards to Noah, he says this. By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acting on what he was told. The result? His family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. Noah, in this account here, is just communing with God. Sometimes in prayer, we often neglect the second aspect of prayer. We talk, he speaks. There's times when we need to listen because God is speaking to us. If our prayers only become us talking, then there are times that God is speaking and we can't hear him. And so we know from this text that God spoke clearly to Noah. A line of communication from God. In our terminology today, God speaks, we listen. That's what happens in prayer. So today we're going to see it's obvious he was a blameless man. And he was right before God. And the ways you become blameless and right is by spending time with God. Noah was just going about business as usual. And God was grieved what was happening because of the wickedness on earth. And then it says this in chapter 6 and verse 13. Look what it says. So God, what? What's the next word? Said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. For the earth was filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Now, pause for a second here. God is speaking. God speaks clearly to us today. Sometimes it's through a word. Sometimes it's through scripture. Sometimes it's through a song. Sometimes it's through a passage or an individual that comes to you. God is clearly speaking here. And so when God speaks, it's our turn to say, wait a minute, I need to take some notes. So picture for a second, God is speaking to Noah. He's going to tell him to go build an ark. Now, arks weren't something that were just sitting around in the desert during this time. There weren't manuals at the local libraries. He couldn't go to the the local store and hardware store and get a blueprints for it. So when God spoke, Noah surely was listening. Because he hadn't built an ark before. So it says this in verse 14. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. This is when Noah began to take notes. The ark is to be 450 feet long. Right there you would begin to say, that's big. 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Pause for a second. 
there had never been a flood on earth. And up to this point, it hadn't rained. Noah had never seen an ark. Noah had never witnessed rain. And so God is coming to him with this all new plan. Now imagine for a second, if you were Noah, let's don't over-spiritualize Noah here. Sure, he was blameless. Sure, he was human too. But imagine hearing from God, go build this big boat. Wouldn't one of your first questions be, where's this puppy going to float? I'm in the middle of nowhere. Why am I building a boat when the nearest water is far away and there's no rain that has come for a long time? And by the way, why do I need such a big boat? Not only that, imagine being told, go collect two of certain kinds of animals. When's the last time you tried to catch a cheetah? It's, I mean, imagine this, what's running through this man's mind. Most men begin to tabulate, postulate, think. And so all this information's coming at him, 450 feet, 45 feet high, two of every kind of animal. And so he's thinking, and not once during this time do we see Noah interjecting the thought and saying, wait, wait. He listens carefully. He takes note. And he doesn't walk away from what God is saying to him. Floods, we have seen many in our world. You can see them as a result of tsunamis, even on the East Coast. There have been men who have been to Western Maryland, to the Potomac River, where we take a group of men for a weekend and we canoe down the Potomac River. It separates Maryland from West Virginia. And for those of you men who've been part of that journey, that 10-mile canoe ride, where we Take the canoe under the overpass or the bridge that takes you into West Virginia. It is 47 feet to the top of that bridge. The last seven or eight years that we floated, the water's been at about six, 10 feet. It's almost 50 feet above us. During the flood of 1985, water made it up to the handrail of that bridge and houses were going over top of that bridge. The restaurant that we ate in, almost 57 feet above water level there in Hancock, the park and dine restaurant where many of you men have eaten, it was six feet underwater. Yet God is saying, not only am I going to cover just a portion, I'm going to cover the whole earth. Now, wrap your mind around that for a second. Never before had Noah heard information like this. Never before had he seen an ark. Never before had he tried to become a zookeeper. It wasn't his forte. And now God is saying, go catch animals. Go, catch, uh, uh, go get enough wood to build an ark. I'm going to flood the earth. And meanwhile, Noah could have said, wait a minute, God. It's not even raining. <laughs> Can you imagine the report back to his wife that night? Going back and saying, hey, I heard from God today. Sit down, honey. You might, might need to strap you down for this one. We're going to go live in a boat. And the water is going to cover the earth. A lot of new things are about to take place here. Things that have never been witnessed before. It's all began because Genesis 6.13. Look again at Genesis 6.13. So God did what to Noah? Said to Noah. God spoke from heaven, connected to earth through the channel of a communication line that we understand in our vernacular today. And he speaks to us today through prayer. Imagine for a second, heaven's about to meet earth. The power of God colliding with a man's voice, a man's body, and in our vernacular, a man's communication line called prayer. There is this cord connecting this supernatural power. 
What I know from this account is this. You can't talk and listen at the same time. And nowhere in this account are we seeing Noah interjecting. He's listening. And there are many times that God is speaking and we aren't listening. And if Noah would have been more busy speaking, then as we know it today, maybe the earth would have been flooded and mankind would have been wiped out completely. But here we have a man who listened to God. Prayer is a two-way street. One day God spoke to him in a crazy clear way. Think about the times that God has spoken to you and that you've heard. I often wonder how many times he's speaking to us and he's saying, listen to me. And yet we are more busy being distracted or speaking ourselves. There have been numerous times in my life where God spoke clearly to me. And as I was reflecting back, just I tried to go back even to the early days of grace. I can remember my first time driving up to Goshen and sitting in an office on Clinton Street with a dear group of of people that were worshiping together. And many are still part of the grace community today, and I love that. Faithful, faithful servants of God. And I'm sitting in this room, and I remember they're talking about what they loved, wanted to happen at Grace. And it was just, it was an awesome moment. I remember leaving that room. I'm driving home in my Ford F-150 truck back to Winona Lake. And on the way home, it was so clear that God's saying, Jim, that is where you are going. And I remember going home and telling my wife, this four cell phones, and I, and I went in and we sat down. I said, honey, we are going to Goshen. And she said, Jim, they haven't even asked you to candidate yet. I said, I just know that that's where God wants us. It was so clear that that's what he wanted. And praise God, they did call and ask me to candidate. And I found that that's what God wanted. But how about this? This is like cataclysmic speaking. Go build a boat, a really big boat, three times the size of a football field, out in your front yard so everyone can see. It's a long ways from the shoreline. Think about this. You talk about faith. God was asking him to build something that was outright ridiculous. And to float it on a continent that had not seen rain for hundreds of years. Now that is faith like we've never witnessed since then. And every day his faith became more apparent as the boat got bigger and bigger in his front yard. You know, you can't hide a, a, a boat very long that's three times the size of a football field. It's not like you can go out for your, for your project and say, you start in the basement, let's build this boat. It's not like you can go out in your, your, your barn and build this boat. Sooner or later, it's going to sneak outside the doors of this thing. And so day after day, this gargantuous boat, the symbol of audacious faith, is being built. And neighbors are saying, what the world is crazy Noah up to? Day after day, he went through this, this incredible criticism And he was under the eye of many, many, many people. It's just faith that we don't often see. Plus, while you're at it, go catch two of every kind of animal, male and female. You gotta be kidding. Imagine just building the boat. Wasn't that enough? Friends, this is unbelievable faith. If it were me, I would begin by taking the Fort Wayne Zoo hostage. There's some animals. Now look at what else he had to do. Genesis chapter 6. Look at verse 21. It says this in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 6. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Now, for those of you who do the grocery shopping in your house, sometimes it's men, sometimes it's ladies. But imagine, 
you're going to the grocery store to buy enough puppy chow, cat chow, and food chow to cover a lot of people. But here's the catch. Never once do I see in Scripture, does God say to Noah, it's going to be this many days that you're going to be on this ark. It's going to be this many days it's going to take you to build this boat. Never once in this journey does God say, hey, at the end of this, until they actually get on the ark, and then he says, you'll be here for seven days. So how would you know how much food to get? Imagine, they were on this, this ark for a very long time. Imagine getting your list out and saying, I just need lots. So you just begin to buy and buy and buy and buy and buy and buy and buy. Noah did everything just as God commanded. Look at verse 22. It's exactly what it says. It says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now, if God speaks for you to do that, I don't know what your ark is. I don't know what your audacious or lunatical thing is. I mean, imagine God speaking to you and And then you say, okay, God, I'm doing it. Your first hurdle is often, if you're married, is either your wife or your husband. You sit them down or your children. You say, we're moving here. We're going there. We're building this. Because the greatest hurdle often is those closest to us. Noah did everything. Can you imagine his prayer times during this building process? Can you imagine those moments like in like the 59th year when it still hadn't rained and every news station was parked out in his front yard? Can you imagine as he went to the local, uh, the parlor there and they had postcards, tourist postcards, go see crazy Noah and his boat. And day after day, these tourist teams brought him by and they waved. There's the crazy guy. Can you imagine year after year of waiting and wait? Some of us like... We get, we get impatient when God doesn't answer our prayer in three months. It's like, God, here it is. God, I know you want this. And it's like, I see people who, who come unraveled because God hasn't answered their prayer in six weeks. Imagine 100 years of pounding nails. 100 years of hearing weekly lumber trucks pull, backing into your driveway. Beep, 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 beep. 100 years of knowing, I think I heard from God. Imagine at some point, he's laying in bed at night with his wife, year 74. She's 74 years older, and she looks at him and lays there and says, Honey, do you think we're crazy? Did you really hear from God? You know, I love you, baby, but, you know, it's been 74 years, and you're still building this wacko ark. Listen, let's don't over-spiritualize these people. Yes, they had those conversations. But somewhere within that conversation, Noah said, but baby, this is what God wants me to do. And she looked back at him, then baby, that's what we're going to do. There were moments along the way that their faith became so alive, yet they still didn't see what God said was going to happen, yet they trusted him. How often do we bail out after six weeks, three months, six months for our project, our thing, and we think God doesn't hear us? Imagine on your knees at night and saying, okay, God, just one little flash flood, please. Just give me one so I don't look like an idiot here. Day after day after day, he cried out to his God. You see, If your prayers aren't impossible to you, then they just might be insulting to God. 
So if you don't have those kind of audacious prayers like, God, Lord, can you do something that's never been done before? And if you don't pray in such a way that only it can happen through God, then maybe you made it all happen through you. Then God himself could be insulted that you haven't asked him because you're saying, I don't need you. I think we should always be in a position where it's out of our hands and the only way it can come through is somehow we have this cataclysmic connection between heaven and earth and we pray these bold, audacious prayers, even like Honey the circle maker did. Think about all the moments he had with his boys as he explained to them that this was really God. Imagine speaking to your own family and saying, just trust me on this. And they're like, Dad, it's been 79 years and it hasn't rained. Do you think there were ever a time he wondered if it was from God? Yes, it did. But listen to me. As we age, our faith should be off the charts because we have had many years to test God's faithfulness. You know, think about that for a second. As we age, our faith should be off the charts because we have many years to test God's faithfulness. But I don't often see that in Christian circles. I watch people age, and you would think that the faith chart would go like this because you've had many, many times to trust God and test God's faithfulness. But often what happens, as we age, our faith declines, and we try to coast into retirement, and we dare not try something that might be risky and trusting God, because somehow we think God could never use us or still want to use us. Listen to me, as long as there's breath in you, your faith, by the time you're 60, 70, 80 years old, should be out of the park different than what it was when you were 20 and 30 and 40. Ask yourself this question. Is my faith more audacious than it was 10 years ago? If not, then maybe you're not trusting God. God hasn't changed. Wouldn't it be awesome if the faith of Grace Community people began to just catapult as they age? And by the time all you sitting in this room became 90 years old, you were building arcs in your front yard? I don't know what your ark is. Wouldn't it be great if you didn't care what people thought about you? Wouldn't it be something that, that you were doing things that had never been done before because God spoke through you? Do you think God ever wants us to get to a point where he doesn't want us to test him in faith and walk in faith? No. The reason that happens is because we are in communion with God. We should have incredible faith as we age. We should be taking bold steps into our 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. And if you're still kicking at 100, you should be given incre- taking incredible bold steps for Jesus. Faith says we believe that God knows what is best for our lives. You cannot build God's reputation until you are willing to risk yours. Noah is about to do this. <laughs> and he's about to put it on the line for 100 years. You cannot build God's reputation until you're willing to risk yours. Our bold and audacious prayers border on lunacy, but they prop up God because the only way a person could get credit is by saying only God could do that. What are the only God things in your lives, quotes, that are happening? Or is everything in your life happening because you've done it? You've acted on your own talent, your own ability. What are those areas where, that are happening in your life where people would say, only God can do that? This bold arc in the front yard of this man's home was 
an incredible picture of audacious faith and belief in God. Look at chapter 7. Noah did everything in verse 22 of 6. Then the Lord said to Noah, after he built this, now keep in mind, a hundred years later, go into the ark and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. I bet so after a hundred years. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for the 40 days and 40 nights. It's the first time he's given him time, frame, dates, how long. After 100 years, I probably say, it's about time you tell me when this thing's happening. Wouldn't you think he probably thought that? And then it says this, verse 5, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Never once do you see him interjecting. Wait a minute, God, what is it? How long? He just hears it and he acts upon what God said he was going to do. You can't talk and listen at the same time. I'm sure Noah had many, many requests for wisdom in his ark building years. He had to learn to pray audacious prayers on how to build an ark, how to fasten wood, how to put pitch, how to build decks and floors, how to capture cheetahs 101. I mean, this wasn't something that he did for a living. Imagine catching dinosaurs and putting them on the ark. Probably they were baby dinosaurs, but even then, how do you catch an animal that you've never tried to catch before? Here, boy. I mean, what do you do? There wasn't a manual for catching a lion. There wasn't a manual for catching a rhinoceros. Imagine going to the water pond and saying, hey, rhino, come here. This is incredible when you think about it. Think with me for a second. This boat took 100 years to be built. And God had not let one drop of rain fall during this time. And now he says, go on to this ark, and in seven days it will rain. Do you think there was a moment during these seven days as his family was seated around, and like on the sixth day where they began to wonder, is it really going to rain? Do you think that they had a sleepless night on that sixth night because that seventh day was coming? Do you think there was ever a moment where they really wondered if it was worth it? Do you think there was moments along the way when their kids went through grade school and when they grew up and went to the community and everyone said, oh, you're Noah's kids. (laughs) Your dad's wacko. Do you think they enjoyed living in that glass house where everyone knew what was happening to them? Do you think on that sixth night, it was quiet and they just waited to hear? Do you think that moment when that first raindrop fell and the ground swelled with water, that they were quiet around the room and they looked around and there were grins on their face and they said, Dad, you were right. Do you think this man of God felt this sense of good pride within that his God came through on his promise? Have you ever had a moment where everyone thought you were nuts? Where 
Your own neighbors thought you were nuts, but you knew this was from God, and you stood on the victory side, and you didn't have to say a word, and all you did was grin. I expect that, or suspect that Moses did that, or Noah did that in that very moment right there. Do you ever think Noah got tired during this process? Do you ever think he cried out to God, Lord, please, just one little sign that these, so these people will quit making fun of me? Like, wouldn't it have been nice, like he just, okay, once a month I'll let it rain so they could go start buying some boats too? Maybe this guy's not wacko. Do you think that the History Channel had their own reality show of him? You see, while we know that God is with us, we have no idea what he can do for us. Most of us know that God is with us, yet many of us have no idea what he can do for us because we haven't heard from him and we haven't stepped out in so very long that we don't even understand these kind of narratives in the Bible. Until we step out in faith, we will never know what God can do for us. I'm a firm believer in this. I believe when we stand before Jesus Christ one day at the Bema seat, where we as Christians are judged for our good works, I believe that there will be these moments where God will say, here's what I wanted to do for you, but you never ask me. Let me explain. Turn to Mark, keep your finger here, and turn to Mark chapter 10 and verse 50. Mark chapter 10 and verse 50. Let me try to flesh this out. This was very fresh to me this week as I was reading through accounts on prayer. Turn to Mark chapter 10. I've read this account probably a hundred times and maybe even more. But I've never seen it this way until this past week. Mark chapter 10 and look at verse 46. It says this, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with the large crowd, were leaving the city, a what kind of man? Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard, because he couldn't see, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he just begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, this blind man jumps to his feet and came to Jesus. Now this next verse, I've read it and 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 I've read it, it, but this week it was different. Look what Jesus asked him. He says, what do you want me to what? do for you. Now, that might not mean a whole bunch to you, but think about this for a second. Picture this. This blind man has been seated and begging, and Jesus hears him hollering, Jesus, son of David, have, son of David, have mercy on me. So he's, he throws off his cloak and he stumbles to Jesus. I mean, he's running. He's just hearing the sound, so he can't see. And so Jesus looks at him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And I want to say, duh, can't you see he's blind? I mean, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you've read that before. I've seen that before. I really want to say, come on, Jesus. I could notice that. 
But here's what spoke to me this week. Why do you think Jesus asked him what he wanted him to do for him? Because he wants us to ask him. Now play that out. Jesus knows what we need. He can see what we need. And sometimes he's saying, why don't you ask me? Why don't you pray it out? Don't you know that I'm the God of the universe who can heal and can touch and can redeem and bring breakthrough? All you got to do is ask. Look at that moment. Come on, Jesus knew he was blind. He knew he was blind, but he wants us to ask him. Okay, play that out in your life. What is that you're so blatantly obvious in your life that you know you need? And you're like, God, can't you see me? Listen, God, are you quiet? How come I can't hear from you? And maybe God is saying, all you have to do is ask me. Doesn't every father want to help his kid? Aren't there moments as fathers was like, I wish you would ask me earlier. You wouldn't be in the mess that you're in. If you would have just asked me earlier than this, then let me tell you what could have happened. And I wonder if God doesn't have moments saying to us, if you only would have asked for my help earlier when heaven meets earth, oh man, could it have been different. Listen to me. Honey, the circle maker, got it. It wasn't like he was being presumptuous. He was just saying, this is what my God can do. If you're not asking, I'm asking. The church, I double dog dare you to pray bold, specific prayers to your God. He's not offended by that. In fact, he wants us to because when we give God a chance to come through in a big way, it props him up, he gets the glory, and he gets exalted because he is the answer and not us. That's awesome stuff, by the way. Yet some of you will go and you'll leave here and, and you refuse to ask. Think about what's taking place here. God comes through in an incredible way. For no, because there's these lines of communication that are unfolding. You see, friends, it matters not what people think of us. If God is speaking, has challenged you to do something unconventional, then just do it. When God's omnipotence connects with our impotence, listen, the unimaginable occurs. Now, for instance, look at this drill. This drill is a craftsman. It was designed to be plugged in. You know, if you tried to drill something like this, it'd be a sorry looking carpenter. Can you imagine walking on a job site? Hey, check out my drill. Look, look at it. It's intended to be plugged in so it can reach its full potential. And that's what God is saying. When you connect me to you, the connection through prayer, then there's incredible power. But most of us don't connect to God and we try to do it on our own. We must connect to God. Left to ourselves, we are limited. Attached to God, we become unlimited in what we can do. Look back in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 5. He tells him to get on the boat. 
And then it says this in verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him to do. Jim Brown paraphrases, he did it even if he looked like a lunatic. Even if others shook their head and said, what's that mammoth boat? Even if they laughed at him and laughed at his kids. Sometimes we have to really look stupid somewhere in the process to fully let God develop us. Plus, think how he had to convince his wife. You see, here's what often happens. It's because there's this compassion level in us. We take this thing home to our wives. And we know God spoke to us as the spiritual leader of the family. So we take input from her and listen. And we take input from us and we put it together. Yet when it comes to making a decision, this often happens. Your wife can often walk in fear. And so what happens, instead of allowing this thing that God wants you to do happen, fear paralyzes what God wants you to do and literally cuts off. And I can tell you situation after situation after situation where either the man was spoken to by, through God or the woman was spoken to by God, they went home and told their spouse and fear enveloped the spouse and it cut off this opportunity for God to do something crazy, incredible in the couple's life. And fear paralyzed the couple. Maybe you're a person who's been demobilized. I mean, just, just, just think about this. How many times have you said, yeah, I need a little more, God. How about Noah? He didn't have a, 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 a blueprint anywhere. He just said, God, if you said it, we're doing it. And his, and his family said, we're in it with you. This probably wiped out his savings account. Not only was it a faith investment, but it cost him his savings. Because I'm sure when he went to the bank and he said, hey, can I get a loan for a boat? Well, tell me about your boat. Well, it's three and a half football fields long and it requires a lot of wood. Well, can you tell me what you're building it for? Um, We're going to have like this flood thing on earth and um, it's going to rain and we need to be in a boat. Um, Do you believe me? Um, Can you imagine sitting across from your loan agent and they're saying, boat, rain, and um, going to flood the earth? Hey, bud, take a hike. So it probably cost him his own money, his own IRA. I have to believe there were moments he and his wife cried together because no one understood them except his own family. I can tell you story after story where my wife and I were together, and I'm telling you through tears we left the services on Sunday mornings. I spilled my guts at the guts conference we had this past week, told the story of when I was rejected as a youth pastor and and how hard that was and and then how God intervened and I went to grace and and how I came here. And then there was this moment where, um, where, where we pulled away on a Sunday morning and someone pulled us into the nursery, this sweet, dear lady pulled in, pulled us up, and she pulled me in the nursery, and and two families had left the church, and she said, Pastor Jim, we got to go back to the way the church was, because two more families just left the church, and I remember all of me loving this sweet lady, looking at her and saying, but listen, we can't go back to the way we were. What about all those people who need Jesus Christ? And I remember getting in the vehicle and telling this story to my wife, and we're driving away from grace. It was a hard morning because it was a difficult time in the early days. And driving away, Anne's just bawling, and I'm crying. And, and she looked at me, and she says, Jim, she says, sometimes I feel like we're taking the church away from the people. And I looked at her and said, honey, it's not their church, it's God's church. 
Sometimes you have to walk through some really difficult stuff to experience the victory on the other side. Seven days they sat in this boat. I believe these seven days were the hardest. Yet if Noah had backed out here, then God would have gotten robbed of some glory. Let me pause there. I don't know where you're at in your thing or your dream. I don't know where it's at, but listen to me. If you've heard clearly from God in this, and maybe you have a little hiccup that just came and you thought this was it, this was the week, or you presented something or you're waiting on something. It's like, you knew, it's like, there it is. And then it, it, it wasn't. Listen to me. Don't back out if you know it's from God, because if you do, you're going to rob God of some of his glory of coming through. Just hold on. Noah held on for 100 years. Now listen, he didn't know it was going to take him 100 years to build this thing. But he had heard from God and he trusted God. And he went to bed at night, even though he looked like a lunatic and he talked to God. I'm sure he had some moments with God where he said, all right, God, give me a drop of rain. Listen, if you're in that waiting period and you know it's from God, don't bail out. Way too many people bail out right before it's about to happen. And then God gets robbed of glory. I wonder how many arcs got started and never completed in your life. You see, most of us move to our comfort zones when it gets difficult. We go back to where it's easy and we don't look crazy and people don't talk about us and where it's, we don't have to wait and where there's no pain and there's no tears and it's like another month or it's like where our dreams are crushed for a while. We don't, we don't like to stay there. So we go back to our comfort zones, but listen to me, comfort zones, you know, they're good for you. They make you warm and fuzzy on the outside, but they're cold, make, leave you cold and empty on the inside. Unexplained things happen and deep satisfaction surfaces for Noah. Look at verse 17. For 40 days, the floods kept coming on the earth as the waters increased. They lifted the ark above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. Verse 19. They rose greatly on the earth and all the high waters, mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains. Verse 23. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground. And then it says this, only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And then in verse 24, it says, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. And chapter eight and verse one says, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters conceded. But God remembered his promise. God said, listen, hold on, hold on. Imagine that moment somewhere in the midst of the flood when people were banging on the ark, wanting to get in. Imagine those people who laughed at him, criticized. Imagine the neighbors who, who said, he's just wild and crazy. That's the nutty Noahites. Imagine as they heard wails of their uncles and aunts and cousins and relatives, yet they remained firm and said, God, we're doing what you want us to do. The only way that your dreams will ever be played out is by building an ark of faith. At the end of this account, we see that God brings a rainbow. And by the way, there had never been a rainbow up to this point, as we can tell from Scripture. 
Not only was the ark the first time, but God had something yet to be revealed called rainbow. Beautiful Mark, even in our world today, promised where he promises never to flood the earth again. I wonder how many more bows that, are, that God wants to reveal that have yet to be seen that he wants to do as a result of our faith and walking through. I wonder what's at the end of our whatever. I wonder what bow is there, what gadget bow, what tech bow, what marriage bow, what, what, what machine bow, what, what job bow, whatever it is. I wonder what God has yet to reveal and say, here's your bow. And then in that moment, we can prop God up and say, only God can do that. And God, we give you the glory. Bold steps like these begin when we pray bold and audacious prayers and heaven meets earth. Your ark might look a lot different than Noah's. The greatness of a man's power is measured by how big he thinks his God is. And that's measured by how big his prayers are. God gets bigger when heaven meets earth through prayer. 377 days of surrender in a boat and 120 years in his hometown getting hammered for his risky, ridiculous faith. But in the end, who smiled more? Oh, Jesus, give us the opportunity to make you look good. Some of us have been waiting for years, some of us for months, some of us are ready to bail out because we had a hiccup along the way. Some of us haven't stepped out for so long, we don't even know what a bold, audacious, prayer-filled faith prayer looks like. Some of us forget that we don't have because we don't ask. Some of us forgot that you're a good and gracious God and that you can do far more than we ask or imagine. Oh, Jesus, I pray that our prayers would grow and that our faith would grow. I pray, God, that we would prop you up and give you the glory that you deserve. I pray that we would no longer rob you of your glory. May we never stand before you at the beam of seat and have God say, this is what I wanted to do if you only ask. May we listen to you and walk in faith and walk through whatever it is to get to the other side of yes and say, wow, God, look what you did. May this be a new season at Grace Community and may our faith continue to grow as a result of our prayers and our communication with you. To you be the glory, God. Amen.